Here's a question I'd like to address. Galatians 3:28. It tells us there is no male and female. Does that mean then that all gender distinctions are abolished? Does it mean that women can be elders and pastors in a church? Uh, does Galatians 3:28 relate to life in the family and the church? Let me go about addressing that by turning to the scripture and seeing the verse, Galatians 3, verse 28, in its setting. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, we read these words. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Galatians 3 verse 28 again, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse is teaching and it's setting the unity that we have in the body of Christ, the same standing before God, no matter what our race, our status in society, or even our sex. We have the same standing before God. We are diverse as according to the different uh, schemes of man, uh, diverse members in the body of Christ, and yet we're all one in Christ Jesus. But does it teach that we all have the same function? I don't believe it does. I believe it's right to say that there should be no divisions, no factions uh, in the body of Christ. Pride and superiority is banished in Christ. But it's very important to read a verse in its context and to read the entirety of the verse even within that context. There are two schools of thought, basically, in the professing church. The egalitarian position, E-G-A-L-I-T-A-R-I-A-N, and it relates to the word equal. And this would say that we are equal in importance, but also equal in terms of the roles and functions we have in marriage, in church, and in society. There are no restrictions. That's the egalitarian position. The other view, the one I hold, is the complementarian position, where we believe that man and woman are equal in dignity, equal in importance, and yet we complement each other in that we're equal but different. We have different roles. And I believe we should delight and even rejoice in those differences. Pride and superiority should be banished in Christ. But it's important to read what the text says. And verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, the Jewish people... And the Greek people 
what do we say about that? Well, in Christ, in our standing before God, being justified by faith, we all have now equal standing as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Jews and the Jewish believer does not have a better standing before God than the Gentile, the Greek. And that's true with males and females, and it's true with slave and free people. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And this is speaking to the issue of before the throne of God, because we're justified by faith, we're one body in Christ, we're equal in value, equal in dignity. I'd like to also go to Romans chapter 12. Here's what I believe about Scripture. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so to take a position that would mean we have to negate clear teachings found elsewhere in the Scripture means we've got the wrong understanding. The Bible doesn't contradict itself because the Bible has one author who is not in confusion. Even when we are, he is not. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, we read these words by the Apostle Paul again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Here again is the principle I'm drawing out. We have the same standing, we're one in Christ, but not everybody has the same function. Not every member has the same function. That's true in our physical bodies. The eye doesn't do what the ear does, and we don't need to elaborate on that. The hand doesn't do what the mouth does. So, I don't believe that Galatians 3.28 is teaching that all the members are the same, but there is unity despite our differences. The Jew remains a Jew. The Greek remains a Greek but their standing before God is equal. We're one in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere in the New Testament, husbands are called upon to act as husbands. They're never told. Now, because of what Christ has done, you can forget that you're a husband. No, husbands, here's the instruction, the command, love your wives as Christ loves the church. God never says, forget you're a husband now, all of that's abolished because male and female is abolished in Christ. No, marriage is between a man and a woman. Let's take the position to its logical conclusion of the egalitarian. If manhood and womanhood had been abolished in Christ, Paul would be contradicting himself elsewhere when in Ephesians 5 he says, husbands are head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. That is not abolished in Christ. That is not abolished. We would also say if manhood and womanhood are abolished, homosexual marriage would be more than okay. Why? It doesn't matter. It's all abolished in Christ. There's no male and female now. But as you read Romans 1, 26 to 27, when you read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, when you read 1 Timothy 1 verse 10, you see that homosexuality is not endorsed in the New Testament, far from it. It's an abomination. So, I don't believe, as we take the Bible as a whole and the New Testament as a whole, Galatians 3.28, I don't believe it abolishes 
different genders as identification or their roles. Let me state it very, very clearly. Men and women are equal in dignity. All goes back to the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, both were made in the image of God. They're equal in dignity. And none, neither one, is inferior to the other. But they're not identical. Their functions are not the same. The wives are called upon in the New Testament to submit to their husbands, not to think, well, uh, I'm no longer a woman in the eyes of God. No, that's a false understanding of Galatians 3.28. And male headship, rightly outworked, is good, and it's never abolished in the New Testament. God never says, husbands, forget your husbands, you're not male anymore. Logically, he'd need to do that if Galatians 3.28 is to be understood as obliterating, obliterating all male and female distinctives. No, in fact, in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, Paul makes it clear, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. I remember hearing Ligon Duncan addressing this verse, and he said, I don't understand, I'm paraphrasing, I don't understand how after uh, reams and reams of material, someone can say, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, actually means I do permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. No, that's the end of the quote. Uh, no, the eldership is male. If you read through 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, Titus chapter 1 verse 6, one of the qualifications of the elder is the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. It's very specific. The Holy Spirit, again, doesn't contradict himself. Husbands, head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. And so I believe the elder and the pastor role in the local church is restricted to men. Men are given the leadership role. They're equal, but they're different. And I believe we should rejoice in the differences. Let me close this with a lengthy quote from a book I recommend, Kevin DeYoung's book, Men and Women in the Church. This is a quote from pages 102 and 103, where he's addressing the Galatians 3.28 verse. He quotes it and then writes this. For some Christians, this text settles the question of gender roles in the church. Whilst Paul, while Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy were more occasional, they argue, this is clearly transcultural. Galatians 3.28 is the verse. Nothing can be understood about men and women apart from it, and every verse must go through it in order to have validity. But aside from the questionable approach of making this verse the final word on the subject, does this verse actually teach what some Christians claim? Does Galatians 3.28 obliterate gender-specific roles in the church? Consider the broader context of Galatians. Paul is trying to forge a theological path through the Jew-Gentile controversy ravaging the church. The main issue at stake is whether Gentiles have to start living like Jews in order to be saved. This in turn brings Paul back to the larger question of what it means to be a true Jew in the first place. Do we receive the Spirit by the law or by believing? 
chapter 3, verse 2. Are we justified by the law or through faith? Chapter 2, verse 16. Paul's clear answer is that we are declared right before God through faith in Christ. But some Jews were in danger of missing the boat. Peter, for example, had to be rebuked because he refused table fellowship with Gentiles. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Apparently, some in Galatia were making the similar error of thinking that Jews and Gentiles were on a different spiritual plane. Against this error, Paul strenuously argues that we're all one in Christ. So, what does it mean that we are all one? In what way is there neither male nor female? Does sexual difference cease to matter for those in Christ? Certainly not, or the logic behind Paul's condemnation of same-sex sexual intimacy would not make sense, Romans 1, 18 through 32. Nowhere in Paul's letters do we get the smallest hint that male and female have ceased to be important categories for life and ministry. Paul is not obliterating sexual difference across the board. Rather, he's reminding the Galatians that when it comes to being right before God and being together in Christ, the markers of sex ethnicity and station are of no advantage. At the risk of importing our modern sensibilities into the biblical world, we can say in a carefully defined sense that Paul teaches an equality between the sexes. Both men and women are held prisoners under the law, Galatians 3.23. Both are justified by faith, 3.24. Both are set free from the bonds of the law, 3, verse 25. Both are sons of God in Christ, 3, verse 28. Both are clothed in Christ, 3, verse 27. And both belong to Christ as heirs according to the promise. Paul's point is not that sexual maleness and femaleness are abolished in Christ, but that sexual difference neither gets one closer to God nor makes one farther from him. Let me close with a reading of the text again. Verse 28 of Galatians 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. As you read through the New Testament, God gives words to masters and slaves. And one thing he never says to the slave is, you're not a slave anymore. Just, Act like your own, you own the place. No, submit to your masters as to the Lord. Again, these things are not abolished. And that's the context for the next phrase, there is neither male and female. Uh, Paul is not negating the fact that there is a male and female difference, but that male and female uh, gender does not hamper our relationship with God. We are one in Christ Jesus with equal value and on the same plane in the sight of God. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's true for the Jew and the Gentile, the slave and the free, the male and the female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Different roles still to play in the home and in the church, but according to Galatians 3.28, rightly interpreted, none of these things, none of our race, status, or sex, nothing of those kinds enter into our relationship with God. We have the same standing before God because of the person of Jesus Christ, his person, 
and his work for us.